You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. 1973, this guy was the richest man in the world until that point. He was worth about $2 billion, which at that time was around $9 billion. In, that, in 1973, his grandson, which was, he was 16, he was kidnapped. And his abductors asked for $17 million uh, to, for, for the family to get him back. And $17 million in terms of $2 billion is around 0.8%, so it's very small. And in terms of his fortune, it was about the profits that this guy would make in a day. But John Paul Getty was absolutely addicted to money, and he refused to pay the ransom. In fact, he refused for so long that the abductors cut his grandson's ear off, just to show that they had him. So several months, even for several months after the kidnapping, this guy still believed that the grandson was staging everything just to get money off him. And then finally, after seven months, finally, Getty agreed to pay the ransom, which was actually a discounted ransom, so he only paid $2.2 million, and it was an amount that the lawyers told him would be tax deductible. From then on, this grand, this, the, his grandson's life was pre, pretty much ruined. He became an alcoholic, a drug addict, and, his, um, and then he died some years ago. So, so, Sunday, so today, Sunday, first Sunday of the month, um, and we, we will be talking about ways of Jesus. So Steve kicked us off last month when he talked about uh, rest, um, and, um, and I'll be talking about simple living. And, and I chose that topic because it's something that, um, that I, me and Kirsten, both of us, we feel like God is, is really stirring within us, this idea of simple living. Uh, short, actually, short after we got married, uh, Kirsten, one time, she said, um, it would be really good for us in the beginning of our marriage to kind of set up good habits, to, um, to, I guess, not let certain routines or habits creep in, things that would uh, later on would be really hard to, to break. Um, and so, and so we've been thinking really, we've been thinking really hard about how to live um, a godly life and how to how to how to how to live simply, uh, but for God. And I want to point out that this is not um, this is not about performance or us trying to, I guess, gain God's love. We we already know that God loves us. Uh, it's simply about creating some practices, some specific practices that we feel like will be really beneficial for us as a family and and for this church. And so I, I believe that God really wants us to live differently than what, than what the society around us saying, that what the culture dictates around us. But as a matter of fact, I, I admit that I'm much more worldly than I would like to admit. I believe that I build my life, my certain routine, certain habits, my wallet is built much more with selfish ambition instead of centered on, on God. And, uh, and I believe that if you look at the Bible, we don't even have to look very hard to find clues on how to live godly lives. Now, I want to I point out, talking about simple living, I don't want to oversimplify this. I, I think some people have a really black and white perspective on, on the Bible. Um, and, and I don't want to, this is not about me giving you a list of things to do. I don't want to just sit here and list the things and say, all right, you should go and do this. If you don't do this, you're, you're doing something wrong. Um, what, what I'm just, I just want to challenge you. I just want to open the Bible together with you and I guess just try to think together as individuals and as a church, uh, what, what does God want to say to us and how does one want God us to live? 
It's really about coming, coming humbly before God and really not judging each other because we all have different jobs, we all have different families and different challenges. Um, but we all stand individually before God and I believe that he has something for each one of us. And so t- this morning I would uh, like to share a Bible story of a man who I believe lived a very simple life, but he was very joyful. Um, he lived a very fruitful life and full of amazing events. So who could tell me who in the Bible is described like this? Among those born of women, none is greater than, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Anyone? John the Baptist, yes. So Jesus said of John the Baptist, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So let's just, let's just pray before we, uh, we read from the word of God. Father, we, we come humbly before you. Um, we want to come expecting that your spirit will speak through us, that your sp- spirit will overflow through us and, and really teach us something uh, from your word, something from your heart. Um, and then um, that you can really convict us if there's things in our lives that you want to break, things in our lives that you really don't want us to keep pursuing, that we come and we listen and uh, that your spirit will help us to, um, I guess, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, and God, we, we trust that only you can do that. So we pray that, um, yeah, we all be expecting something this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's, le- let's read from Luke 3, uh, from verse 2. Yes. So during the high priesthood of Hannah's and Caiaphas, the word of God came to, to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crook shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways, and all, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear fruit, Good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. And be content with your wages. As the people were in expectations and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So Luke starts by telling us that John was in the wilderness and John is called by God to proclaim this, the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Um, one of my questions this morning is why, why does Jesus say that John was the greatest born of women? And some people argue that 
John was really special because John's mission was to personally prepare the world for Christ's arrival. John's ministry was predicted in Isaiah um, and in Malachi. And John introduced Jesus to the world as the Lamb of God who would take the sins of the world. John was, John was possibly the greatest as well because God chose him to break 430 years of divine silence uh, where God last spoke through, through Malachi, the prophet, the last book of the Old Testament. John was the spirit-anointed bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from an old covenant to a new covenant. His preaching was the end of the law and the beginning of the, prof, the, the promise. No other prophet had that privilege. But although John had all those privileges, uh, he lived an incredible, humble, and simple life. So we already read that he came from the desert. He lived in the wilderness. The Bible also tells us that he was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locust and wild honey. So how, how could a man, such a special man like this, how could a man like this be so humble and lead uh, such a simple life? And I, I believe that the answer for that is because John, in, deep in his heart, John knew God and John knew who he was. Um, he was he was confident in himself, but it's definitely not a boastful confidence. Um, as as he said in John three, he must increase. So John is talking about Jesus, and he said, "Jesus must increase, but I must decrease." But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John was a true disciple of Jesus, and he knew his purpose. His purpose was to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. So John knew God, he knew who he was, he had a very specific mission. So why, why would he need anything else? Why, why was John really, why would he worry about a life more complicated than that? Why, if, he, if his focus was on the eternal, why would he really worry about material things? And I believe that's why John lived the life that he lived. He wasn't really, he wasn't interested in possessions, in prestige, in accumulating followers, Holly was interested in pointing people to Jesus and living for that. And it's interesting, the text that we read, that John um, didn't really demand the same for other people. John had a good understanding that people came from different places. People came from, from different jobs. If you remember when the crowds asked him, what shall we do? He answered them differently according to their job. For example, he, he says, whoever has two tunics... Um, is to share with whom who has none, and who has food is to share with them likewise. And tax collectors asked, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Even soldiers asked him, and he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be content with what you make. So I believe that we can resume this in three things. What John was telling these people can resume in three things. First, be content with what you have. Second, don't obtain things by stealing or lying. And then third, share what you have with others. And I think for me, looking at these three things, I think for me this is simple living. This resumes what is simple living. And John was not the only one that says this. We know many times in the Bible that other people said very similar things. For example, Paul, when Paul writes to Timothy in the first letter to Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 6 from verse 7, For we have brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So if we have food and clothing, we will be satisfied with these. 
Furthermore, those whose goal is to be rich fall into temptation. They get trapped in many foolish and hurtful ambitions, which plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root, is a root of all the evils. And then in verse 17, for, As for those who, who do have riches in the present world, charge them not to be proud and not to let their hopes rest on the certainties of riches, but to rest their hopes on God, who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Charge them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share. For me, it's very interesting that when Paul addresses, uh, as, we, as I read on these last few verses, when Paul addresses the rich people, he doesn't really tell them, okay, you're rich, for some reason you're rich, now you have to get rid of, all the, of everything that you have, otherwise God will not use it, otherwise God is not pleased with you. Paul doesn't say that to them. He says for them not to be proud, for not to set their hopes on the riches, but to rest on God, to be generous, and to share with others. But reading this is, is easy, but how can, we, um, how can we get to this point? How can we live like this? How can we live a model like John and like, uh, like Paul is saying? How can we practice simple living? Because when I, when I look at myself and I, when I look at human nature, I feel like we are very opposite to this. I think we often, our lives are often controlled by fear and are often controlled by pride. I think we make a lot of decisions in our life simply because we're fearful, we're prideful, and we want more money. We aim for better jobs, we work really hard to get there, and then we have to work really hard to maintain them. Um, more money leads to comfort, which leads to the ability of buy things. When we buy things, it makes us accumulate things, we have something we want more and more, and we feel more powerful and superior to others, which makes us feel like God, in a sense. Which is the same problem that we see in the first chapters of the Bible. Humans want to be like God. We want to make our own decisions and we want to feel superior to others. We want to control others and have some sort of power over them. Um, we want to get things as fast as possible, even if it means stealing or lying, and we publicly share what we minimally give. So my, I guess one of the questions I have this morning is what, what can we do to break this? Um, I believe that we, we all are here this morning. We want to follow Christ. We want to do what he says. Um, so how, 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 can we, how can we live more godly lives? How can we live more simple lives? And I believe that God, um, as, I, as I prayed in the beginning, I believe that only God can transform, can really transform our hearts. I believe that um, even if I listed some things here, it, you know, we would go home and we... You know, it might sound nice, but we really, it wouldn't resonate with us. The things that I do personally would be different than the things that you might have to do personally to, to change. So I believe that in the, big, in the center of it all, I think only God can transform us. Um, and I think, um, and I believe that he transformed us by over and over presenting the gospel. And I believe that there is simplicity in life because the gospel that we follow, in a sense, is simple. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, And I fear that somehow your minds might be seduced away from simple and pure devotion to the Messiah, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent and his craftiness. Another trans translation says that your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This passage, passage is not exactly related to simple living, but 
I believe that we can apply it here. Um, you see, the, the point, the main point of our lives, the main aim of our lives should be simple and pure devotion to Jesus, to the Messiah. Um, and we get to this point by understanding the gospel. And the gospel is that God loves you and me. Um, and because God loves you and me, this eliminates our fear and this eliminates our pride. Fear is gone because we can be sure that we are in God's hands, that if he loves us, we are in his hands. And he definitely knows what's the best for us. Jesus said, I take care of birds and flowers, and I will take care of you as well, in all seasons. So understanding the gospel takes fear away. And understanding the gospel takes pride away as well. Tim Keller said, I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This really um, should lead us to deep humility, but a, sa- a deep confidence at the same time. So the gospel eliminates fear, the gospel eliminates pride, and brings transformation and brings hope. And, and from that point on, then we can start living lives and start living simpler lives that are not just about ourselves, but are first of all about devotion, simple and pure devotion to Jesus, and about each other about loving each other. And I believe that we demonstrate love for each other when we share um, and then we help each other um, when there's any need necessary, even if it requires sacrifice. I guess for us Christians, um, I, often, um, I often ask myself, how can we, um, I guess, how can we live the way we live when we, we see so much need around us? So much, uh, so much poverty, so much, um, so much brokenness around us. How can we live and accumulate some of the things that we accumulate? And how can we spend so much time and so much money on stuff that we actually don't need? Um, and also sometimes having, having really nice stuff uh, can, can take us away from helping others, uh, for, for borrowing, for letting others use our stuff or, or for giving it away. Um, Kirsten was, was telling me, imagine, having, imagine help, helping a homeless, pe- a homeless person and letting them stay at your place. Wouldn't it be harder if you have a really nice house, a really, really nice and fancy house? And in fact, even the things that we consider absolutely essential, they actually, sometimes they're actually not that important. The other way, I went to visit my, my friend Daniel, um, and he's from India. And, I, and as soon as I, uh, he was showing me his house, and as, as soon as I got to his room, I noticed there was no bed. Uh, there was no mat or any bed frame. And me being from, you know, from the West, I was like, Daniel, like, where's your bed? There was just some sheets and a pillow just on the corner of the room. And, and he just said, oh, for me, it's, we grew up like this. This is normal. Like, I lay some sheets on the, on the ground and on the carpet, and I sleep on the ground. Um, you see, for me, being formatted by the Western culture, for me, it's very normal to have a bed, very normal to have a mat and a bed. But for him, it's just so, he doesn't need it. That's, that's what it is. So in a rich environment like Australia, and particularly on the Gold Coast, it's almost expected and normal for us to have bigger and bigger houses, multiple cars, multiple TVs, multiple laptops, a boat. But in fact, in other countries, what is, what, what is it expected? What do people consider normal? Other countries where people make $2 a day, what do they consider normal or expected? In fact, basically humans, we need food, we need some food to survive, we need water, we need warmth, and some form of shelter to live. This is, abs- this is essential, but the rest is actually not absolutely essential. 
But if it's not absolutely essential, why do we give, why do we lose so much time and sleep and worry about things that have really have no, no purpose? And as I said before, if, if there's so much need around us, why do we really care about things that don't really have a purpose? I would like to, to do something quick. I would like to look for you to look at your left, to the person at your left. And I would like you to look at the person at your right. <laughs> okay, so if, if the person on your, red, on your right or on your left, if they were truly need, would you provide for them? Would you say to them, what is mine is yours? Um, could, you, could you go through life normally knowing that someone close to you, someone in your family, um, someone in this church was in desperate need? Could you just go through life normally and worry about the things that you worry? You see, the model of giving in the New Testament is, is not 10%. So after that, we just tap ourselves on the shoulder, we congratulate ourselves, and off we go. Um, we see that in the Bible, the, the model in the New Testament, what people the, in the early church did was, is there a need? We will provide. What can we do? People were selling their stuff. People were sacrificing, truly sacrificing their lives so that nobody would go without need. And again, it's not about leaving or just giving your leftovers, leaving the things or giving up the things that you actually don't really need. Um, it's, about, um, it's about sometimes serious sacrifice for the sake of others. It's costly and it, it doesn't feel fair. But the Bible encourages us to do this and to do this joyfully. Um, but every time I'm challenged to give something away, often that the first thought that comes to my mind is, that's not fair. I work very hard and the person that I'm giving something to, uh, why, why would they receive the benefits of that? I worked for it, I should deserve it. Um, all they've done is waste their time and money. Why, why me? Why can't someone else step in and provide for that? But my personal prayer is, can I pray that God changes that? Can I pray that that is not the first thought that's come to my mind? Um, and even consider other areas of living. I feel like this all is centered around it. I feel like uh, we, sometimes we work too much and we don't spend as much time with our family, uh, sometimes in our church, in our, in our hobbies, and even, even resting. Um, this, this pretty much comes full circle and ends up in the same problem. We sacrifice very important aspects of our lives and ministry because we want more and we want more money. So my prayer this morning is that we learn from John the Baptist. We learn from John the Baptist who we are in Christ. Uh, we learn that our deep confidence in, is not in ourselves, but is in the gospel. Uh, and this gospel that brings uh, so much hope. And that we stop, in a sense, we stop living only for ourselves, but that we look around at other people and we start living simpler lives for the sake of others. And maybe, maybe you think that, um, often people think that living, living like this, living for others will make, us, will make you somehow unhappy or unfulfilled. But, um, but I would encourage you to listen uh, to John the Baptist again. In John 3, he says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. As God promises this way of living, a simpler living for the sake of others, content with what we have, um, leads to complete joy, leads to peace, it leads to fulfillment.
But I guess, are we individually as a church, are we willing to trust that? Are we willing to put ourselves before God and say, I trust you, I trust that you can take my fear away, I trust that you can take my pride away, and, um, and are we willing to be um, his disciples? Let's pray.